This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and they share their story. They might have overcome something amazing, some kind of adversity, or they may still be on their journey. With stories that will make you laugh, cry, and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. Joining me today is a woman playing by her own rules and asking us to listen up. Candice Brathwaite is an author, journalist and TV presenter, releasing her debut book and Sunday Times bestseller, I Am Not Your Baby Mother, in May 2020. Keen to show that young black families aren't just surviving, but thriving and inspiring parents to mother their own way. Candice's journey in the public eye began in 2016 when she started blogging about motherhood. After a traumatic experience after the birth of her daughter Esme in 2013, Candice was on a mission to make motherhood more inclusive. Nowadays, since building a heavy following on social media, Candice is writing for the likes of Grazia, presenting for ITV, and her Say It How It Is attitude has really struck a chord with fans. In July this year, she released her second book, Sister Sister, a collection of essays full of wisdom and advice that Candice wished she'd received as a young black girl. There is nothing stopping this woman, so what a joy it is to have such an inspiring female with me today. Hello. What an intro. Hi. <laughs> do you like do you like that? Yeah? <laughs> so sometimes you're just like, you know, you can't see the wood for the trees and then you hear an intro like that and you're like, no, I'm doing all right. I'm doing <laughs> Yeah, it's nice to know what other people think of you and, and how they view you. It, not that it should be what you base your life on, but to hear your achievements like that, if you're a bit hard on yourself is good, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I'll tell the boring story of how we've probably met only once in real life years ago. <laughs> um, it was like so long ago because I actually think it was before Instagram was big, really. Yes. Must have yes. been. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And yeah. it was your son was a child modelling for an advert that I was doing. We were on a farm. Um, and it was like a heat wave. The farm smelled of shit. Um, <laughs> it really did. Don't you remember? It was like pure manure. I was like, and all the kids were moaning. Like it was such yeah. a day. Oh my word! Yeah. yeah. So so since that <laughs> lovely day on on the shit smelling farm, um, you've you've got married. That's something that's happened quite recently, right? Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I got married two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Much. What's so funny? Much to the internet surprise because we've been together ten years. Yeah. So I people just assumed like uh, that was a lesson in the 
assumptions, I think, for anyone following me uh-huh. because everyone was like, oh my God, we thought you... Well, no, we weren't. So we got married a couple of weeks ago and it was small and lovely, to be fair. Nice. Yeah. So had you been planning it for ages or was it spontaneous or... Totally spontaneous. Our wedding planner, we only pulled her in uh, with 12 days to go. Yeah. Like I was planning it by myself and then I was getting really overwhelmed. The first venue fell through with 48 hours to go. We had to sort that out. Like it was a bit of a mess, but it was lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Does this describe your character then? Are you spontaneous then? Yeah, really spontaneous. And um, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I am totally not the person that something needs to be perfect for it to go out into the world. Like I don't mull things over for long. Same, yeah. I'm like, do you know what? Like even with editing my books, my publishers are like, it's so good to work with you because you're not precious. I'm like, I just don't have the time, yeah, you know, yeah. as long as the point is being made, I'm like, yeah, wrap that up, send that out. I'm not going to, yeah. you know, sit here for, for ages. And so even with my wedding, I was just like, I know what I want. We're going to feed 30 people. We're going to be home by midnight. Bish, bash, bosh. See, I'm like that. That's what it was. I'm like that and sometimes it's good, (laughs) but then sometimes I'm a bit like bull in a china shop and impatient and (laughs) rushing, rah, rah, rah. And then sometimes I am like, oh, I could have done that a bit better, you know? But not always. Sometimes it's good because it makes you a bit more brave, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. And sometimes I have to talk to myself and be like better for who who is the perfection for I think now we live so much for an audience or a platform be that social media or in the media itself I'm just like oh no this is good enough for me you know Mm -hmm. um I don't necessarily have to be perfect because I have this platform or all of these people are watching Mm. well that's how I would hope anyway yeah Yeah, it's it's good to not let it alter your reality and and how you're living Mm. you know are you going on honeymoon or do you not have time I guess if you're schedule no literally we're going on honeymoon tomorrow this year that's what we're packing for (laughs) wicked oh I love that that's cool um yeah and it's our first time going on holiday together alone yeah, that's big and people struggle to believe that that's like yeah in our, in our like we were really poor when we met you know so you're just trying to get by then we had kids so we've always done family holidays we have not got on a plane by ourselves mm. ever yeah i can believe it so this could mean divorce who knows <laughs> i don't know <laughs> take some good books take a charger <laughs> take some headphones <laughs> You mentioned briefly then life pre how we know you and you mentioned the word being mm. poor. Like with I'm thinking about like how I know you. I know you as a creative. Um and I've read your books and I've read about your past too. And I think you're very honest and open about all of all of areas of your life, past, present, future, whatever. Um, what would what would you describe life as in, you know, what was your job before we knew you in the public eye? Oh my god. The last job I had before I was like, oh, I'm gonna quit this and um and, and try this social media thing was in a, a publishing house. I worked for Penguin in the marketing department right. and I'd won that job. They had created this thing called The Scheme, which was trying to get people who didn't have a degree into publishing because you know publishing is like this iron gate where you normally have to go Cambridge or Oxford or know someone who knows someone they were like trying to there we go they were like trying to diversify the space and not just by race but by class which is 
as important. Mm-hmm. And I applied for that role and I think it was 4,000 applicants and I won one of four spaces. And so I started um, in the marketing department at an imprint called Ebri, which published um, great cookbooks and like social media stars books, all those kind of autobiographies. And then six months in, I got transferred to the kids department, which everyone said, oh, you're a mum, you'll absolutely love this. Hated every day. That's interesting. Hated, like, hated coming into work, hated having to brainstorm about how a three-year-old would think. And one day I just sat at the desk and I was like, this is not what you want to be doing. And whilst I was at Ebury, I started to get an inclination as to where advertisers were going to start chucking their money. And they were pulling it away from magazines and and doubling down on social media. And one of my roles at um, Ebury was to spend the entire day on the phone to bloggers asking them how much they would charge for us to feature a book on their blog or on their Instagram. Instagram was still like very early days in terms of advertising anyway. And when they told me how much they charge, I literally wrote notes. I was like, you're in the wrong job, girl. And how do you, how do you make that leap? You know, you need to build an audience. You need to do all those things. And once I'd gone to kids and I spent like a month at kids, I I, one day I just handed in my resignation. Again, that bull in the China shop thing, no plan. Yeah. No money. I was just like, I have to be all in on this crazy idea Mm -hmm. because I understand where this market is going. Um, And I did it. And I got to tell you, it was it wasn't pleasant in my household for many years because it's like you've packed up a paying nine to five to do what Doss about on YouTube. Like, you Mm, know, my my husband didn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah, My family didn't understand it, but I, I I felt like I was going insane. I was like, guys, I I, I don't know how to describe to you, but this market is going to explode. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get in now, it's going to be really hard to do it later. And it took, it was four years before I got my first paying job from social media. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm thinking, like you said, you know, it was around 2016 you started, right? So Mm. that definitely was before things blew up and before the market was as saturated as as it is now, particularly on Instagram. And I'm thinking sometimes when you meet people like this, that it's not necessarily even risk takers. It's people that want something and they don't wait for it to come to them. They go out there and they create it and they build it from Mm -hmm. scratch and they keep going. And I always feel like all those people have a backstory because people aren't just born being like that. Something's happened to give them the, the, it's almost a confidence. It's a confidence to, to believe that they can and they will. What, I just yeah. wondered, like you as a child, how did you how did you <laughs> see the world? Do you remember how you saw the world? Like, did you have aspirations oh that reflect you now? Yeah, I I knew as a kid, I always wanted to be a writer. That was like one of my primary things. It's what I loved English as a child, and I was raised by my maternal grandfather. So I I off the bat, this is like the late eighties. I have a very unusual house structure. So my granddad's taking me to school. My granddad's like trying to do my homework with me. He struggles to read and write though. So he used to be really hard on me about learning to read well. He was like, it has been such a barrier for me in my life. You have to be good at articulating yourself. Like you have to be good at putting your words down on paper because that could be the difference between you getting a job and not. 
And so seeing that, but also seeing, and I've only been able to reflect on this in like the past few years, but seeing my nan go out to pay the mortgage, there was something really powerful about Mm. that, especially in a time where it was still, you know, the nuclear family where the man was going out to to get the bacon was held up high. To see my nan leave the house at 4.30 a.m. every day and it was her like, she sit down on a Saturday with all these different checkbooks and check on her stocks and pay the bills and be like, right, that's how much is for the car insurance. Seeing her manage money, I was like, oh my God. You know, now I'm like, that was really important because it's it's been yeah. the driver in me to be like, oh, women can hold this down and build this thing. But I think outside of that, this is going to sound really weird. I knew from a really young age, almost like that I was born into the wrong family. It's really hard to describe, but I felt like a black mm-hmm. sheep or like an outsider or a pariah from really, really young, just because of the way I questioned things in the black community as a child. You're not meant to question anything, by the Why? way. But I was always really like, so, um, especially back in the day, uh, black culture is very like, kids should be seen and not heard. Like, you know, adults are talking, you go upstairs, you play, you don't question adults, you don't try and investigate the world. And from a really early age, I was like, I don't believe that, help me understand. And that just made friction appear wherever I would go because people would be like, who's this really rude kid? That's how it was digested. Mm -hmm. Like you're answering back, who is this really rude know-it-all? And so from about seven, in my mind, I was like, okay, this is not working. And how are you gonna like put a protective ring around this special thing you have and carry it through like your childhood and your teen years and just like get to your mid twenties. <laughs> like I was always obsessed with getting to my mid twenties. Cause I was like, when you get there, then, then you can be fully you. So it's interesting to hear you say stuff like, yeah, there was a, there was a different thing. Mm. There was just the thing. Must have been. That, yeah. Um, was really clear. Yeah. So when you went to have your first child, Esme, that was in 2013. Mm. Were you yeah. a career woman at that point then? I wasn't a career woman in any sense. And in this really wet way, having a kid made me like try and get my head mm-hmm. around what I wanted to do or how I wanted to show up in the world. But sometimes, you know, I've got my best friend, whenever I'm feeling a bit, oh, I don't know what the next step is. She was like, do you have a CV? I was like, mate, I work in media. I, I couldn't, I don't know Doesn't where to exist, start with a CV. Yeah. She, she was like, you actually need to write it down because actually on paper, your life makes no sense. Like you're raised by your granddad. There was like abuse and turmoil in that household. And then you go and live with your mum, and she has more kids. And then you become a teenager and then you start going out into the world and you flirt with drugs and you become a sex worker and then you decide you're going to get your act together and then you fall in love with this guy and you have this but she's like your life is actually a movie yeah it is so Netflix series look at it like that do you know what I mean but then I think like Esme came in and and almost almost shamed me into wanting to be normal Mm -hmm. So thinking about this kind of unconventional upbringing, you know, just the fact that you were raised mm. by a man and not a woman, it was a man that was mm. a few generations away from what, what your own father would have been. When you became yeah. a mum to Esme, did you have these preconceptions of what motherhood should look like, what you were going to do? Did you have like a vision or anything? I had a really clear vision of what I wasn't going to mm. do as a mum. 
I had a really clear framework of how it was absolutely not going to go down, but I had no idea how to be the opposite of that. Like I was just clutching at straws. And now, now we're a little bit more secure financially. I do understand it's just an ease of being there for her or both my kids now and loving on her in a way that I felt I didn't get. I want them to feel like, oh my God, there's too much Mm mum. Like we got to grow up and leave this house because it's just, she's overdoing it now. I feel like then when you, I mean, I actually hate this terminology and I don't really see you as this, but when you went into that mummy blogger space, that's such a downtrodden <laughs> word, don't you think? It's so frumpy, isn't it? That mummy blogger. Just reminds me of someone that like blogs about rusks and like spoons. And stuff. I know. I know. <laughs> but you did, like you kind of started out, you know, people came to you because you yeah. came to them with honesty and, and ex- life experience mm. and authenticity. And then it turns out lots of people related to that who may not even be anything like you, but they feel that there's certain emotions or certain strands of your experience. Why do you think um, Mm. you decided to blog on this subject and why do you think it became so Mm. relatable and it became very wide reaching, I think? Oh, why did that happen? I just think I was the perfect vessel that couldn't be perfect because even by how I show up in the world physically, I am very anti what the world tells you you should be to be like the most popular or the most beautiful. Like I'm very opposite of that spectrum. And I think women saw me come into that field and just secretly rooted for me, no matter what their Mm -hmm. race, because prior to me, mummy blogging was like that striped t-shirt, that bloody effing bob they all used to wear, a bugaboo, do you know what I mean? They're complaining about, yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like it was all of that. And then in comes this bold, brash black girl from Brixton. Probably the only (laughs) one as well, I think. Do you know what I mean? People were just like, don't even get it, but we're going to support it just because it's anti that. Yes. Yeah, that's true. It's this, you know, it's this true, honest thing. And I came into the market like, really broke number one so that was interesting because I'm amongst women who are on their third property or their fourth yeah. house renovation you know their lives have been very structured and very ordered and they've gone to uni and they've gone to private school and they have ticked every single mm-hmm. box and then in pushes Candice who's like oh I don't know I never went to uni I don't know what you're talking about but I do believe that that doesn't mean that I shouldn't have a voice and I also don't believe that should have that that we should be putting other women on the sidelines because they don't live up to your expectations. And what mummy blogging has proved over time is they don't even live up to their own expectations. They're all a bit mad, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I'm so glad we're having this chat, right? Because it's so similar for me that I came in the public eye through being a victim of crime. So I wasn't, Mm. you know, it wasn't like I came from stage school or I came from wealth or I was on a road, you know. So then when I Mm. became a and started writing books and making money then when I had to do certain things I'd be like oh my god they can't see my house it's like a squat like I can't I can't do this I can't do it. and it was like because your peers are have a totally different life to you and they're, and they're very far ahead yeah. you know and I'm just so grateful to be living my life as it is now because I think back to a 15 year old Candice who just wanted to be free and to have her say and not feel boxed in and I look at my life 17 years later I'm like oh my god you really did that you know Mm. you really have created a world where I I get paid to speak my mind essentially Mm. that's just like 
Like, where the hell do you do that? Yeah, you know? it's liberating, isn't it? And, it? and it improves, I don't know, it mm. makes you feel confident that you're worth that. I think it's really important, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Do you still get that thing, though, with IG where it's like, I know you're not a perfectionist, but where you're like, oh, my picture, oh, the background, oh, God, I can't. And you see, like, your <gasps> no, competition, you... it's like, ugh. Oh, my God, you know what? It's not even me, and I, I'm really honest about this. I'm a very jealous person. Like, I'm really working hard at the green-eyed monster, but it doesn't take much for me to be like, oh, why didn't I get that job? Or, oh, how are they able to do that? And I'm not. And then I saw this video, I think it was on TikTok, where this woman was like, pay attention to your jealousy because all it's showing you is what you want to achieve. Mm. And when I made that switch in my mind, I was like, okay, I don't dislike this person. I perhaps just want to write for TV or maybe I want to produce. And this is the, this is where these feelings are coming from. But as I'm working through those feelings, I, I can't be on social media. I wish I had my phone now. I don't keep the Instagram app on my phone. Oh, really? Like, I, yeah, I, I upload it to like put a post yeah, on yeah. and then I delete it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I do want to talk to you. I mean, it sounds like you're pretty sensible of your social media. You know, you're, you're limiting the scrolling. Mm. You recognize your triggers. I do want to talk to you about a pretty dark side of social. Um, and I, I cannot believe this happened to you. And it, it was a while ago. I, I hope everybody knows. I mean, this is like a film. So you couldn't make this up, right? Mm. So there was a female blogger. She was a midwife and she was a mum influencer mm. um, called Clemmie Hooper. Her, her name was Mother of Daughters on IG. Mm. And she made up this like burner account, this anonymous account and was Oof. going on forums and you were one of the people amongst some others that, mm. that she was basically attacking she was accusing you of yeah. weaponizing race she was accusing you of being aggressive mm -hmm. but I don't just mean one odd message like she was going going yeah. for it thinking it was anonymous yeah. um and it wasn't you mm -hmm. that outed her was it it was other people that ended I oh, know and 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 you know what I, I don't think I've said this anywhere publicly I knew she was going to be outed maybe like three, four days before right. because people were calling me and they were like, do you know this thing is about to happen? And do you, do you essentially, and this is what freaks me out. I get chills talking about it. There were women calling me essentially asking, do you want to be part of this takedown? And I was like, even though 
she has been horrible to me and disgust me in a way we can only describe as racist. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in a witch hunt. Like, it's just not my vibe. Like, if she's going to fall on her own sword, that's because she tripped. It's not because I pushed her, yeah. you know? And because I was the one that the worst things were said about, because, you know, I'm the black woman in this scenario. And so that trumps any folly she's talking about her yeah. mate. I think people were really betting on me being the one to like blow it up. And I just wouldn't bite. And I could see like all of these women just becoming sharks and getting really annoyed. Like, is Candice not going to say anything? No, I'm not. Because they love the tea. They're feeding off it. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to. And also what I've had to learn is as the black woman, I don't actually gain anything from saying something. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm in a very precarious position, even though I've been spoken about in a way that had me crying for weeks and made me obsess over how I show up as a person. um, That doesn't mean I get to express that publicly because I understand how whatever I say could be used against me, you know? Well, this is the thing. She was saying you were aggressive. So if you responded, Mm. she'd be like, I told you she was aggressive. Uh Yeah. Exactly. And and then you flip it in her (laughs) favour. And I I felt like your silence and dignity was quite powerful because you'd been talking about this sort of behaviour existing. Some people are telling you mm-hmm. it doesn't exist and you should shut up mm-hmm. and get on with it and, and, you, and you, mm-hmm. you're bringing it out and, and it's not really there. And then all of a sudden, bang, it does exist. There you go, there it is. Exactly. And what I had to like really like do and go to therapy for was to separate myself from the scenario and look at it from a bird's eye view and be like, this is the greatest example of what I've been trying to campaign for. This woman is a midwife. This woman Caring, goes maternal. to work the next day. Yeah. Like and and deals with people's newborns. Like, let's start there. Like, and that for me was the scariest of it all because you don't disrobe your racism before you go to work for the NHS, you know? These are elements that must come with you to your day job. And I was like, I actually don't have to say anything in this moment. You have really been a shining example of the things I've been talking about for years. And in some way, my my silence felt really victorious. Like I look back on that time. And I'm just like, well done, babe. Like, you managed that really well. Your silence was so powerful um, in in that moment. Mm. And it's really interesting because, you know, you've talked a lot about the NHS and the experience as a black woman um, giving birth. You know, Esme had a traumatic entry into the world. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really traumatic. Yeah. And then what's kind of disappointing is... You've then had apologies from the NHS, from the way you were treated, Mm. dismissive behaviour, inconsistencies, dangerous care that fell below standards. How does an apology feel post all of that happening? Where does an apology sit? It just doesn't. And it's to the point where I was really petrified to have my son because um, I'm I'm still dealing with the trauma of Esme. And, you know, all these doctors are going through my notes. And I had him in 2018. And what makes that interesting is I kind of have a profile then. So I'm being wheeled into a theatre where doctors and surgeons are like, we cannot mess this up. Because, you know, there's a history here. So everyone like followed my birth plan to a T, but I was like, I shouldn't have had to almost die for this to be the level of care. This should be the level of care 
for every woman. And so an apology, especially when black women are still four times more likely to die in childbirth um, or the pregnancy postpartum period in the UK. I'm like, okay, that's cool, but we're not bringing this number down, dude. Like, I don't know what to do with that apology. And I stand by the fact that I, you know, if, if I could, if I had another kid, I don't think I would have a baby on the NHS. Does it put you I off having I say that really another... strongly. Yeah. Yeah, it petrifies me. It petrifies me. I'm like, I, I, I feel like I need the padding of finance to allow me to have my say. How insane is I that? I know, yeah. I feel like I can't, I feel like I won't be listened to unless I put down a debit card. And it's a basic human right <laughs> for a woman to be able to give birth mm. safely. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you yeah. talk about you shouldn't have to nearly die for it to then go just mm. averagely well the next time. But you didn't just nearly die, yeah. you also had to relive the trauma and retell it on platforms to be heard. Mm, which is traumatic yeah. in itself to have to keep storytelling when sometimes you'd like to just close yeah, 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 close yeah. the door. And and what, when you did storytell, um, it was compassionately received and it turns out it's a wider mm. problem that it, that is not talked about. Yeah. It's another hush-hush yeah. thing. Why? It is. Like, I, d- I don't know. Do you know what? Actually, I do know. I just think in the black community, it became common. It's like, oh, do you know Veronica? She went to have her baby. Oh, she died, you know. Oh, no, poor Veronica, RIP. Who's going to take the baby? Oh, her mum. Like, it's just so standard. And, you know, if it's not Veronica dying, it's Veronica's child coming out handicapped because maybe they've pulled the child's neck out wrong. Like, just varying layers of trauma. It's my, it's one of my closest friends being cut from front to back with no anesthetic and then getting a deadly infection. It's being treated in this barbaric way that I think women in my community are really used to being treated that way. So you just don't say anything. And I think, you know, people heard me tell this story and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then smack bang comes that embrace report at the back end of 2018 when, you know, black women were five times more likely to die in childbirth. And a bit like, like the Clemmy Hooper episode, it was like, and here comes the evidence, guys. I no longer need to keep saying anything. Here is the data given to you by the NHS themselves. You know, what's going on here? Like, what? why does that disparity still exist? So you're talking about that bar being so low for black women. You having nearly died, mm. are you one of the lucky ones then? Is that is that where it is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, de- defo. Defo. And, I, you know, when I went in to have my son and everything went smoothly, like it was my husband's family, like praying rejoiceful prayers and my friends being like, oh, sure, you know, thank God. And but then, uh, you know, I, I don't want to name her, but recently a, a really popular YouTuber, she died giving birth and she's black. And like watching her boyfriend, like emotionally be like she he was like she was there and then she wasn't like my son came out and then they both died. And he's like, it happened within minutes. I can't even get my head around. And she's, she was like, she was like 24 and well-known in the community and had a very popular platform. And it just brings it right back home again. It's like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. Mm. Damn. Like, because that, 
could have easily have been me, you know? It's amazing because I feel like there's so much passion that comes from you and you talk about these very Mm. subjects openly on on Instagram, but you show a good mixture, you know, you show the fun stuff, you always dress (laughs) in bright colours, you show the fun stuff with the kids, with RJ, with Esme, Papa B, like we all get to see that side to you as well. Um, And I suppose that's why your book, you know, your first book, I'm Not Your Baby Mother in 2020, Mm. it was so successful. Mm. You know, you you speak to most women and they've read it, people have it at their book club it's discussed it's you know mm. so many blogs about it can you tell for people that haven't can you give me like a, a your little elevator pitch because it's hard to explain what's in oh it oh my gosh it's quite a packed book do you know what it's ju- it's just simply what it's like to be a black british mother mm-hmm. and the reason it's impactful and still impactful is because it was the only book and i think it still is the only book in the british library solely dedicated to black british motherhood mm. The only book in the British Library, like if you walk to that library and you're like, I want a book just about the black British motherhood experience. The only book they can give you is I'm not your baby mother. Isn't that, that weird is just like, when you like, <laughs> and it, I'm just, and you know, some people say to me like, it don't, isn't that cool? Don't you feel esteemed? I'm like, no, that's insane. And kind of gross. Yeah. And weird. Like, I'm just like, and, and given the success of I'm not your baby mother, I'm really like shocked to see how publishers haven't jumped. That's a bandwagon you should want to jump on mm. because the black British motherhood voice is not a monolith. I'm not saying I control that or I own that narrative. There are so many different various stories. And it's like, we've been allowing white mothers to tell various stories for centuries. Mm-hmm. How is it that only Candy Sprathwaite seemingly gets to have a public opinion yeah. on what goes on in her community? Like, Ah, ah, ah. I mean, that's the thing. You opened the door for other people. You shone the light for other people. You made space for other people. And it made some people jealous, I think. Um, mm. <laughs> no, it really did, I think. Because I think you're, I think you're honest in your books. But, but storytelling, mm. and, you know, I've done a documentary. When you do a documentary, it is sort of like vulnerability. I, I've story told in autobiographies. It doesn't mean you have to disclose mm. everything. It, that doesn't mean ownership yeah. to the public. You know, you're allowed to have a private life. And it was interesting watching what some people tried to do to you because you're with the same publisher that I was with for a long time, Quercus, right? So I'm not Mm. with them anymore, but I was for a good few years and they were a really good team. They're very supportive. Um, And I saw people trying to weaponize your past against you. Um, and you talked about it at the start of the podcast, you touched on uh, sex work, drugs and, and all of your past. Yeah. And you did a really interesting thing on Instagram where you knew people were trying to embarrass you and shame you because mm-hmm. they were jealous, right? So you yeah. got in there first and you were like, this is happening. <laughs> so here, this is the rest of me. It isn't really anything to do with you. I'm not ashamed of it, but I chose not to storytell it. Doesn't mean I wouldn't eventually, but at the moment I haven't. But here it is so that people can't weaponize it against me. And I, I felt so yeah. emotional because I, I thought, <laughs> well, there's no way Quercus would stop working with her because I know what Quercus are like. They would be really supportive of everything you are. But shame on those people. They thought they'd get you sacked. That's what they thought. We still don't know who the people are, but they were really aggressive with it. They were contacting every single brand I was working with at the time. Like they were going full throttle. And I just thought, 
as I, again, in my household, that's a very painful scenario to work yourself through because that's still not something I've even discussed in therapy or got my head around how abused I was or, or how abusive I was to myself at that time. So it felt really, I don't know if I can swear, but it felt really fucking unfair mm-hmm. to have to speak about something that I hadn't even Violation. resolved in myself. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh my God, way too mm-hmm. far. Like, unless I slept with your husband, I don't want to hear it. Like, you just back up a second do you know what I mean I just feel like this is too much but at the same time I was like well the only way you silence the whisper is by taking the mic like just bite the bullet and get it out of the way and also that means you can tell that story on your own time Mm. and it is a story that people are going to want to hear because it's like well how the hell do you go from being a sex worker to a mummy blogger to like like help us understand that but also humanize sex workers also humanize women having different sections of their lives humanize mothers do you know how many women and men slid into my dms and we're like, oh my God, I used to be a sex worker. I used to be a stripper. Mm-hmm. I'm so petrified it's going to come out. Seeing you like just own that has really given, like like hundreds. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, and I know that feeling of you walking, feeling like you're carrying this really heavy cloak and you're just thinking at any moment, someone's going to want to pull this off. And do you know what that taught me though? That also taught me that I was giving too much of myself to the internet. Yeah. And, and once I'd gone public with that, I pulled back so much. Interesting. I was like, you're not owed this. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not owed every nook and cranny into my life. You know, I don't know you guys. And this is really weird. And I had to recognize the fact that I was perhaps using being liked on social media as some kind of self-esteem. Yeah, boost. I've been there. And, yeah. and, you know, and it's like, oh, if I don't air my dirty laundry, no one's going to like yeah. me. People are going to think I'm not authentic. It's like, oh, give it a break. If you think I'm not authentic, that's up to you. But that doesn't mean I need to show you my credit card bill and like, you know, and pull up my web history mm-hmm. for you to feel like you can humanize, not just humanize me, but respect me, you know? Yeah, it was a real moment. And every time someone tries to bring you down, it seems to reveal more of your campaigning (laughs) and more of your points you're trying to articulate. Yeah, and I think also it revealed to me why I am good at my job because sometimes I think, God, you've lived 20 lives, you know? And I think with everything, people just get another layer of Candice and they're like, right, she's 33, but that makes sense. Like, who's gone through all of that at such a young age? I am the least judgmental person ever and and I'm now like brutally honest about everything I even posted last night about how I I got into a habit of posting about race Mm -hmm. because it boosted my engagement and the comments were just like Jesus like who would Mm -hmm. who would ever say that like I'm just like no sometimes this self-reflection has to be public because it may trigger a thought in someone else like why are you really doing something and after doing that said thing are you unplugging your wi-fi and then figuring out how you can make it better in your own community like and I just thought you know I know it's not for everyone but I'm just like I just I will not operate on the BS scale. It's just not for me. Well, people are obsessed with what people are doing online in terms of activism, mm. but they never challenge, like you said, in the home, in the community, in the school. Because yeah. you know, if you're not posting about something on IG, then you must not stand for it. You know, that's people. not real. Yeah, yeah. Know, and it's really tough to live up to that. And it is just performative in mm. the end, you know, because then you think you've done yeah. something, but you haven't. 
Um, so, do you know what? I've talked to you, to you for past the time that we have booked out and I've realised I haven't actually mentioned such an exciting thing. So we should actually just finish on really talking about this. You've got um, your second book, uh, Sister, Sister. Yeah. Um, it came out in the summer this year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, t- tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So Sister, Sister was actually the book idea I was trying to sell before I'm Not Your Baby Mother. And it was turned down by about 15 publishers who were like, um, we don't think a book solely speaking to black British women is going to sell. So this is pre Um, George Floyd this is pre-Black Lives Matter obviously they were like really not receptive they were like you need to make these essays more universal so it was an idea that I parked and then I'm not your baby mother comes out and does what it does and Quercus were like oh we'll take that off your hands you know it was just how it was but Sister Sister was the book idea that I was carrying long before I'm not your baby mother um it's just interesting that it it took us watching a black man die on our phones for like the publishing world, the media world to be like, oh God, yeah. we need more diverse vo- voices or diverse stories, you know? It feels like you always turn pain into purpose. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I always say my adversity is my advantage. Mm-hmm. That's like something I, I, in every room I walk into where I feel like I'm the dumbest or the least educated not the prettiest, not the richest. I'm like, actually, you got here because of all the bad stuff. And it's that that's going to trump the education and the money. It's like, I'm not reading a book or going to school. It's like, I, I can speak eloquently about gang culture because I was raised around gang, you know, Mm. like I don't have to go in and learn about these scenarios. So you are totally unstoppable. I mean, it's a bit of a big question but like what is the overall overriding goal in your life do you do you have one because I mean you're spontaneous man the overriding goal in my life um yeah it was to be you know that feeling I said I had had as a kid and protect that ball of energy and just be like it's using that ball of energy to shift like my whole generational lineage so I really feel like I was a piece of fruit that fell off a tree that is now rolling down a hill and is going to start to grow a tree in a completely different place. And so my, like when I'm on my deathbed and when I am say, I always talk about the ancestors, my biggest goal is to be that, that ancestor that, the kids I will never meet talk about. It's like, Oh, you know, we, we, we get to run this company because Grandma Candice did this in 2002. Like, it's that. I am very, very obsessed with being that golden nugget for the family that comes after me, to be fair. And and, and what that does, it, it doesn't make me obsessive about how it happens. Yeah. I used to think, oh, I want to sell millions of books or, or I want to build a media company. I'm like, no, no, no. It will happen how it happens. But that's just the end element that I'm seeing. I need to retell this. This is a really good goal. It makes you sound like a really nice person. My, mine's like to do an extension on my house. <laughs> Cream floorboard. Like, that's literally... <laughs> Like, that's literally where I'm at. I'm like, to be that good ancestor, to be that person that, you know, when when that kid is born in 20 years who has that nugget and they're like, oh, this space is crushing me. They can like go to their history books and be like, nah, someone did that before, you know. Yeah. I've got this. 
This is yeah. why you had to come on the podcast. You are extraordinary. You're an amazing <laughs> woman. Thank you so much for talking to me just before you go on your honeymoon. I really appreciate <laughs> appreciate the freshness time. It's going to be a great episode. Thank you. I've, I've loved talking to you. Could have talked for hours. No, thank you, Katie. Honestly, I got, this has been got great. so carried away and I'm looking at the top of the corner. I'm like, okay, it's 4.15. My school run is 4.30. It's fine. <laughs> that is a, oh gosh, you got to go. You got yeah. go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or share on your socials. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.